guys, welcome back to episode 15. If you've stuck around through the craziness of delayed episodes and short episodes, I appreciate you greatly. My fiance had COVID. Now that that is done and over with and he is no longer stuck up in my room of where I record my podcast, we are back at it. Um, and I got a, a pretty decent size episode for you guys today. Uh, episode 15 is going to be about April Millsap. And our sources are mainly um, missingsouls.com and clickondetroit.com. Uh, maybe some Wikipedia, I think. And maybe some random Google articles um, that I didn't grab. But other than that, let's get started. So let's get into ya. Okay, so background. April Millsap was born on January 2nd, 2000. That makes me feel extremely old because I was born in 1994. And I've seen this trend on TikTok about how they're saying, if you're born in the 1900s, <sighs> yeah. So anyway, um, she was born in 2000. She lived with her mother, Jennifer Millsap, and her stepdad, uh, David. And they lived in Aramida in Michigan, which was like a small town, um, which was pretty much a farming community and had a population of about 2,000 people from what I could find. Now, Miss April, she was described as a pretty quiet, shy girl who was like really sweet, super caring, and generous with everyone that she came across and knew. Um, April's mother said that she had a heart of gold and was always there for other people. Now, she was a normal teen. She had a group of friends and she even had a boyfriend for about a year and a half um, in school. And if she wasn't playing with her friends or like hanging out with her friends, um, her mother said she was in her room playing some PC games. So she was a fellow nerd like we are. So that's great. Now, April also, she was in a school band. Um, which I was never talented enough <laughs> for school band. I got stuck in chorus, which as an alto, so, you know, that means absolutely nothing. But she was super talented, um, super talented in that and in writing. Uh, when she was younger, she wrote many short stories. However, her dream job was actually to become a veterinarian in the future, or at least to have something to do with animals because she absolutely adored and loved animals. Now, she was very into fitness and health as well. She would always make sure she got her daily steps done. Um, she had like a little, um, what is it? I don't know if it was a Fitbit per se, but it was like a little tracker, you know. Um, she also had a dog named Penny who she absolutely loved. She took her out on daily walks every day. They would go on hikes. Um, and this fit into her fitness lifestyle. So it actually helped her achieve her daily steps. All right. So also I just want to take a moment. They are doing yard maintenance today at the apartment that I live in. So if you hear mowers and distracting noises, I am so sorry. Also, <laughs> the reason why you may hear them, our AC is broken and has been broken for four days now. So <laughs> we have the windows cracked because it's like, 80 something 90 something degrees in the apartment so that's fun stuff but let's move forward so july 24th 2014 nice summer's day right april went on her daily walk with penny around 5 30 jennifer said april knew um 
you know, not to stay out too late, don't go out after dark, and, you know, she wouldn't stay out for too long. However, on this particular day, it was getting dark, and April has not come home yet, which made her mother feel super worried, so she sent a text to April to see how she was, where she was, make sure she was okay. Now, as the time went on, Jennifer had never received a reply no text, no call, anything. She found that super weird because April would always answer her phone. Uh, Jennifer tried to call April and it went straight to her voicemail, which made her even more worried. And as she kept trying to call April's phone, it would just go straight to voicemail. So she kept trying to contact April. April never answered. Um, so as any parent would, you know, she instantly knew something was wrong. And she called police around 9 p.m. Now, you got to think about it. April went out around 5.30 and 9 o'clock, her mom was like, yeah, something's not right. So, she called police and it had been about three or four hours since she had last seen April. Now, police came to the house to take a report and get more information, but Jennifer was struggling to have that conversation. She was crying, hyperventilating. Um, it had gotten so bad that one of the police officers actually had to take her phone from her while she was speaking to David, which was April's stepfather, who was wor at work at the time to inform him of what was going on. So David immediately left work uh, while police continued to question Jennifer, uh, asking about April's plans for that day, what she was wearing, where she would normally go on walks at, as well as as general other questions about April's life to give them kind of ideas of what could have happened, where she's at, you know, that kind of stuff. So Jennifer mentioned April's boyfriend, Austin. So police got in contact with him to see if maybe he had seen her, heard from her, you know, call, text, that kind of stuff. Um, Austin told police he had not heard from April in quite a few hours. Um, but, you know, the time he did was super concerning. Um, April had texted her boyfriend saying, quote, I almost got kidnapped, oh my fucking God, end quote, at around 6.28 to 6.30. Now, unfortunately, um, police received a 911 call from a man who had discovered a body during uh, his walk through the trail. Um, this was what the call pretty much was. Um, the caller said, quote, I'm fairly certain we just found a body along the mountain bike trail, end quote. The operator then responded, quote, you don't believe she's breathing, end quote. The caller said, quote, I don't think so, end quote. The man who made this call was riding his bike with his wife on one of April's favorite hiking trails when a black dog, which was Penny, who still had its lead on but was without its owner, approached them. The dog seemed panicked and would go up to him and then as if the dog was trying to lead them into the wooded area. The man decided to follow the dog into the wooded area, which was just off of the trails, and the dog ran up right to the body that was laying on the ground in a drainage ditch. And this dog just laid next to the body and began whimpering. This dog was Penny. Now, just some more detail about the area of where her body was found. Um, there was like a gully or a ditch on one side that was fairly steep, approximately three to four feet down. 
it goes up um, again and at the surface at the point it's flat but covered in very thick brush with a lot of small trees that's where april's body was found now april was identified at the crime scene um, due to the clothes found at the scene now just trigger warning this is a little bit about her um appearance when they found her her head was covered in blood and was found partially undressed her shorts and underwear had been pulled down to her ankles and her blouse seemed to have been ripped open and pulled um, down to her waist now um, a little bit more detail from what i found in another article this may be repetitive, so just bear with me. Her blouse and bra were pulled down around her waist area. Her blue shorts and undergarments were pulled down to her ankles. Her feet were bare, and there were two white shoes to the north of her body. Now, in April's autopsy, absolutely no sign of sexual assault, thankfully. Um, I, from what you can imagine, they probably had tried and failed. Don't know why, what happened. I don't know. Um, but she was not sexually assaulted. There were no stab wounds, no gunshot wounds, and it was believed that she was beaten to death during a failed attempt to rape her. Um, she had footprints on her chest and her neck, suggesting that her killer had stomped on her when she was already dead. There were injuries to her neck and her chin with the pattern marks of the footwear that were the same on her chest and everything. Um, there was some leaf material clutched in April's hand. There was blood on her face and hair. The manner of death was homicide. And the cause of death was blunt head trauma and asphyxia due to neck compression. So April's... Um, herringbone pattern, I believe I said that correct, um, which are injuries were consistent with a shoe tread indicating that someone had stood on her neck. The medical examiner test, excuse me, the medical examiner testified that the attack on April may have lasted over 10 minutes. Now, of course, police started their investigation by looking at April's family and loved ones because, guys, nine times out of ten, it's somebody that you know every single time. But there are some rare cases, you know, that are just kind of, you know, op opportunistic people or randos, you know, that just do things like that. So, it's not... A consistent thing but it does happen so security video eliminated april's boyfriend austin and his friend alex um, given the gravity of the case several groups were involved in solving her case now this is a list so it is the violent crimes task force so number one the homicide task force two the southeastern michigan crimes against children group three the Michigan State Police, four, the FBI, five, and the Macomb County Sheriff's Office, six. So there was a total of six um, groups of um, police, you know, task force, six groups to solve her case, which is crazy. I've never, I mean, normally, you know, police and FBI kind of go hand in hand sometimes, but that's so many. I've never heard of, of that many before. 
So detectives spoke to everyone. Um, so they pretty much hunted down everyone that walked on that trail that day, um, asking if they had seen or heard anything, uh, if they've seen April. One person said they actually had seen something suspicious. This person said that they had seen two older white males jumping into a beaten up old white van. Now, police campaigned everywhere to track down these two males. However, when they found these males, they were ruled out as suspects. Because there was a lot of publicity about the case, a tip line was established to receive tips from the general public. Police received thousands of tips, like they normally do, so they decided to come up with a theorized version of events based on the crime scene evidence and the text message. Now, amongst those tips, um, they did come across a frequent um, tip that multiple people had said, which was April was on the trail with a man who was on a motorcycle. Now, several people testified at trial, placing April and the person who done this, which he was caught, thankfully, and the defendant on, on the trail together um, near the time of her death. So... It was an accurate tip, so thank God for those people. Now, police believe April was walking Penny on the trail when an older man spotted her and approached her and was trying to talk to her and flirt with her like they always end up doing. Um, they believe April ignored him, tried to walk away, and this is when she texted her boyfriend. She continued to walk when the man approached her again, but this time he was so angry because she rejected him. And let me just say this. Um, fuck you men who want to do that crap because I cannot stand the whole, eh, hey, you rejected me, I hate you, me, me, me. Like, they get so upset when you reject them. Now, it's different. If you're going to sit there and lead someone on and expect them to ask you out and then you reject them, they have a reason to be upset. But if you're literally not interested, men need to back off. Take the no and walk away. Go somewhere else. Somebody is eventually going to give you yes. Period. Period. <laughs> Someone will eventually give you a yes. Uh, anyway, rant over. Um, they believe April continued to ignore him. And this is when he snapped, hit her over the head with his motorcycle helmet. And then dragged her into the wooded area where he continued to beat her and eventually killed her. So, a very smart FBI special agent, Matthew Zinitz, created something that helped the case. So, police believed April was attacked between 6.30 and 6.45 p.m. that day. They also had the GPS information of the text message that they got from the mobile phone network. I believe that was the one that was like, oh my god, I almost got kidnapped kind of thing. Um, now, he used April's phone information, entered it into Google Earth to recreate the path the phone took prior to and after her death. Now, during that time, April's phone had placed approximately three calls sent one text message. The animation included pinpoints for the times of the phone calls and text messages, as well as the location of her body. At 628, that's when she sent that I was almost kidnapped, oh my fucking God message to her boyfriend. 
The phone then attempted to call um, to a, I don't know if I really should say that phone number. <laughs> Let's just say three calls to a phone number at 6.31 p.m., 6.32, and 6.33. So all like a minute apart. At approximately 6.44, the phone departed the area where April was found. Whereas the phone had previously traveled an average of approximately 3.8 miles per hour, the phone suddenly traveled at 22 miles per hour. Now, police used this GPS info that placed April on the trail at that particular time to reach out to people who were walking along the same area at the same time. Now, one individual came forward to say he had saw a young girl he believed to be April and a much older man on a blue motorbike. Detectives used this info to put up the news asking if anyone had seen a blue motorbike in the park that day. Now, of course, after weeks, they finally found April's phone, which was around one to two miles away from where she was murdered and discovered. When investigators turned the phone on, they saw that April had a fitness tracker app that was on at the time of her murder. This particular fitness tracker app logs your route, your pace, and the time. This allowed police to have an exact time frame and movements of April and her phone. Now, detectives used this info and compared the timeline they had made through the text message um, that she had sent her boyfriend. They were able to see that when she had sent the text message, her pace was quicker. Of course, you know, if you feel like you're being kidnapped, you would start walking pretty fast. Um, I have almost been abducted out of my apartment parking lot, walking to my box at 9 o'clock while I was on the phone with my mother. As soon as they pulled up to me and tried to get out of the van to grab me, I ran. So, yeah, you're going to start running. You're going to start, you know, um, freaking out and trying to find somewhere to go. So, of course, you know, her walking is faster. Um, now, with her walking faster, she had moved in the opposite direction. This made officers believe that she was maybe heading back home at that point or trying to. Um, it was clear to officers that she was trying to get away from this man, but he continued to follow her. This was until her route froze and she didn't go any further. However, for a few minutes, her phone is just moving around in the same spot. This made police believe um, when a struggle had started, like they had started fighting, um, they had started fighting back at her attacker. This was until the tracker picks up movement again. The phone begins to move from the scene where April's body was found, but at a rate of 20 to 22 miles per hour, perhaps the motorbike. Now, this info made detectives look into the suspect that was on the blue motorbike seen at the park. Obviously, right? So, FBI agents and officers positioned themselves at every single entry and exit of the Armada Village. Um, no one was able to go in or out of the village without speaking to police. Could not get around it. So they asked everyone the same question, which was, do you know someone who owns a blue motorbike? You know, probably some other general questions. Eventually, a woman told her, um, excuse me, eventually a woman told police her neighbor had a blue and white motorbike. 
Now, the woman told police she hasn't seen the motorbike in a couple of weeks, which she found unusual because her neighbor always used that motorbike to go everywhere. But around the time of the murder, she didn't see him with it anymore. Police asked her who her neighbor was, um, and she said it was a father and son who were both named James Vancalis. Uh, police began to look into the two men. James Vancalis was 66 years old, and his son, who was also named James Vancalis, who had a girlfriend and son. So, that could be very confusing. <laughs> and if you look at their photos, honestly... I t- like if one wasn't so old, like if they were a l- like a young dad son trio, dude, they would look almost exactly like it's insane. So that was the info they got from the um, the stopping the in and outs of the village. So good information, good information. Now, of course, you know they had to go check things out. So police officers saw the motorcycle in the driveway that appeared to match the description of the motorcycle seen um, on the trail and in a neighbor's security camera footage. Now, the officer eventually made contact with the men at the house, um, and that defendant shared, you know, he shared the house with numerous family members and his girlfriend, Crystal Stradler. Um, and the son, James Van Callis, is the one who had killed April, just so you guys know, because same names can get confusing. So it is the son. When they say when I'm saying defendant, it's the son. So um, the son originally told the officer that he had left his house around 5 p.m. to visit his brother, left his brother's house before dark because he was worried about hitting a deer. Okay. Um, he reported that he wore a black helmet, a Carhartt hoodie, camouflage pants, K-Swiss tennis shoes. That's, that's definitely a fit. Um, the defendant pr- provided roughly the same info the following day. I'm getting tongue-tied, sorry guys. Um, but police looked at, you know, their criminal histories. Of course, right? 32-year-old, <laughs> I can't even speak, 32-year-old James Ben Callis. Had a couple of different records, of course. Um, not a first-time offender. So, uh, he had breaking and entering, general misconduct, and drugs. And the 66-year-old James Vincalis, the dad, had a bit more concerning record. He was a registered sex offender. And first off, I don't care if you are family, friends, whatever... I cannot believe that they let this man live with their young son. If you're a registered sex offender, you should be living by your damn self. Anyway, he was a repeat offender of criminal sexual misconduct with children, okay? Uh, Many of whom were under the age of 13. And he still allowed his dad to live in the house with his son. Which I guess he really didn't care. Which he should be arrested douchebag. Anyway, uh, this was obviously extremely concerning to the police as they immediately raided the Van Callis home. Because you gotta remember, April was 14, so that age is not really out of the range of the dad's sexual misconduct. So, now during the search, police found marijuana in the house, uh, so they were able to arrest both men on drug charges. So, <laughs> there you go. 
While both men were in custody, police took DNA, of course, which was tested against a crime scene in April's body, but no matches were found to either men. Now, meanwhile, other officers... Uh, let me pause. Hold on. Just because there ain't no DNA does not mean you didn't do anything because she was not successfully raped. And I hate to put it that way, but they failed at, at raping this 14-year-old girl. So, thankfully, but she still ended up killed because they failed. So, of course, there's not really going to be any DNA unless she scratched them or bit them or something like, you know, it's a hit or miss. But now, meanwhile, other officers were questioning neighbors They and found out, you know, 32-year-old James, the son, owned the blue motorbike. And none of them had seen it in the last couple of weeks since her murder. During the search of the home, they were not able to find the motorbike. However, they did find the helmet. Key piece of evidence. Found the helmet and other biking gear. 66-year-old James was... um, like, uh, release on bond for the drug charges. Uh, While police still had who they believed was their primary suspect, which was the 32-year-old son, James, in custody. Police continued their search of the home, specifically looking for a particular pair of shoes due to the crime scene evidence they had of the footprints, which were on April's body. Now, this print was from a pair of Nike Jordans. However, police were unable to find a pair of the shoes at the Van Callis home. Instead, they found a potential link to the trainers on James Vacalis' um, phone. While searching his phone, police found a video that briefing... Sorry, I can't type, nor can I read you guys. They found a video um, that showed him wearing a pair of Nike Jordans. They were also able to find on his phone history um, searches of younger girls. So he's disgusting just like his dad. (laughs) Like father, like son. Um, 32-year-old James, the son, was charged with first-degree murder, murder during another felony, and assault with the intent to rape. So, Van Callis' defense argued that the police had it out for James, even though there was, quote, no link or evidence between April and James Van Callis. Now, during the trial, prosecutors came to say they believe um, the item to attack April was indeed the motorcycle helmet. Now, of course, you know, James's defense argued that there were no tire tracks around the scene, nor did investigators find the shoes in his home or the motorbike. Um, excuse me. It makes me a little saucy when, when that happens. Um, prosecutors then bought, uh, brought James's girlfriend, Crystal, to the stand as a witness. She told court the night of April's murder, she came down around 3 a.m. to find James cleaning his shoes and helmet with hand sanitizer. So, at least that girlfriend has a conscience. Um, Crystal told the court James had come home home around 9 p.m. And everything was fine. The two of them went to bed. When she woke up at 3, he had gone back out again, found him cleaning his uh, whatever he wore that day, his trainers, his helmet, shoes, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, it was never revealed what James was doing while he was out during the evening. She also said that the first time police had come to speak to James, he told her he really messed up this time and that he needed to stick by him as well as telling her if anyone asked where I was, case was trainers that night, um, even though she remembered him wearing Jordans. I'm sorry. I think I said where I was. I meant where I, what I was wearing. I tell you, I get tongue-tied. Sorry. Uh, so, witnesses also came uh, to the stand to say that they had seen April with James on the trail. Of course, you guys know that tip with the motorbike. She saw him and her, all that kind of stuff. Um, witnesses said that they had seen James approach April as well as seeing April look nervous, trying to get away from him. He looked mad. Other witnesses said that they saw James walking out of the wooded area by himself, looking very nervous. Um, all witnesses that came forward were able to describe the man seen with April, and a composite sketch was made. Now, I don't, I don't know if it's just me, but composite sketches never look like the person to me. That's just me. I don't know. Like, they just never look like, you know, the person that they're looking for. But, um... I have posted it on Instagram if you guys want to go look at it. This one was pretty close, I feel like, you know. Um, I, I thought they did a good job with it. Now, Crystal told the court James wouldn't tell her what happened after she tried to pretty much investigate him, you know, uh, or interrogate him is the proper word. He wouldn't tell her. So, she went into his backpack, you know, gut feeling, right? He always carried around... Um, while he was like out and about and found a hoodie that had grass and mud all over it as well as clumps of long hair the color of hair was matched to april's hair color so they did have physical evidence and he was not smart and he is stupid just like his father but i don't want to get sued so i'm not going to say anymore at the end of the trial in 2016 it took the jury very little time to deliver their verdict Duh. So, James Van Callis, the 32-year-old son, was found guilty of all of his charges and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Yay! Right? I need a soundboard. <laughs> so, as James was walking out of the courtroom after receiving the verdict, his mother shouted, James, we love you. To this day, the Van Callis family believes James is innocent and was framed by the police. Now, let me say, let me say, hopefully I won't get soon. Um, for one, your husband is a child molester and raper and rapist and whatever else, an abuser. And you're, you're still with that person living with your son who has a smaller son who is in potential age range to get raped by your husband, you have no room to say that this man is not guilty. <laughs> First off, okay, um, before I get into it and get myself in trouble, let me just say that. So, all of you can um, shove it where the sun don't shine. Okay? Yeah. So, I want to talk about what the family said to James during court. Um, because I find the parents um empowering to other families who have gone through the same thing or you know who have missing kids i just feel like their um what is it like their statements mean a lot so um this is from her mother 
Uh, she said, quote, I don't know what or why you did what you did. You stole from my family. I pity you. I hate you. And I can never forgive you. End quote. Now, Van Kaus's attorney had argued, of course, uh, earlier, like I said, no linking evidence, blah, 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 blah. While that hoodie was not taken into evidence, I have no freaking idea, but after the trial, jury foreman Doug Scott said that there was enough damning evidence to convict him, despite the case being largely circumstantial. Now, prosecutor Eric Smith also said the right man is behind bars, um, and Smith also said, quote, his phone puts him there. The pings on his phone put him there. End quote. Then Kyle's mother, Brenda Pupai? Pupai? It's P-U-P-I? I don't know. Said she will fight to get her son released. Yeah, you have fun trying that. She said, quote, My son was framed. Yes, sir. I believe it with all my heart. I will put my hand to God that these officers frame my son because they had to get somebody. End quote. You dirty in God with your hand. Take your hand away, ma'am. Um, Van Callis said, quote, I wasn't able to properly defend myself in this case, end quote. Well, you can't really defend something that you did. Um, Judge Mary, yeah, I, I can't even say her last name, but I'm gonna try. Chernovsky, um, told him he had the right to appeal, of course, you know, they always have to say that. Um, but I find this super, super cool what they did after. Um, now, unfortunately, like I said, she was, um, murdered at a very young age and it's, it's super sad, but what her family done with that, I can't even imagine how many families they've helped with such a tragedy. So, um, first and foremost, April's family has set up a memorial garden in memory of April. Um, you can go to April Millsap Memorial Garden dot Weebly, and that's W E E B L Y dot com. It is amazing. Um, this place has won so many awards, and it's beautiful. They have butterflies. They have thousands of flowers. Um, it, it's it's awesome. You guys need to go check out the website. You can even donate um, to like yard maintenance, um, flowers, like all kinds of stuff. It's it's really awesome. So the garden is located about a half a mile south of Main Street in the village of Aramida. Armida. I don't know why I always said it wrong. Um, it was at the it's at the corner of the Fulton and Depot roads. Uh, it is also alongside the Macomb Orchard Trail located in Macomb County. Um, you can use 73192 Fulton Street, um, Armida MI48005 for GPS directions to get you close to the garden. Uh, North Avenue becomes Fulton Street upon entering Armida. Um, parking is close and convenient. There are three spots um, on the north side of the garden along the depot road or depot room, whatever. Several other spots are available just west of the garden across Fulton Street and alongside the trail. So, um, a little bit about the garden, okay. Um, the April Millsap Memorial Garden is a place for everyone to visit, heal, and enjoy. It was designed to reflect April's personality and her love of butterflies and flowering plants. 
The arbor invites you onto the stone and flower-lined path where you can rest, reflect for a moment, and enjoy the garden. This is like their description on their website, by the way. Uh, the garden was created for the healing process of April's families, uh, friends, residents of the village and township of Armida, and the community whose hearts have been touched by one of Armida's angels. Additional items uh, were worked into the design to provide a respite for those who use the trail to walk, run, and bike. Whatever your reason for visiting us, you will come to know April and our town. Um, there is a bell there. Uh, so during your visit, you are invited to ring the bell in remembrance of April. Uh, go ahead, give the rope a pull. April's mother lives nearby and will always hear it. It makes me like tear up a little bit. Ah, so I think that's super sweet. Um, there's also like a little library, which is super cool. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those uh, give and take library little post things. Um, so April loved to read and write, especially poetry, like we were talking about in the beginning of the episode. A journal placed in the library allows you to read one of her poems, as well as leave a note for everyone to enjoy. April's mother, Jennifer, visits and enjoys reading notes left in that journal. Uh, we hope that you enjoy the books in the little library. Sit and read in the garden. You would like, um, you could take a book home with you. Leave a book for children or adults on your next visit for someone else to enjoy. That's what they had said about the little library on their website. And guys, I'm literally in tears right now. Like, uh, I love, I love the, like, the outcome of a family's love like it's insane so um of course you know the garden is not just for humans the garden was designed with uh, drop tolerant plants as well as native plants to attract a variety of pollinators the garden is certified as wildlife habitat number 191186 through the national wildlife federation the garden is monarch way station Number 10946 through Monarch Watch. So, just a little bit about um, the Million Pollinator Garden Challenge. It is the network's new campaign to register a million public and private gardens and landscapes to support pollinators. Now, the diverse groups behind the campaign understand and agree that pollinators, including honeybees, bumblebees, other native bees, butterflies, and other face complex threats. Um, so some include the iconic migrant monarch butterfly have steeply declined. More nectar and pollen sources provided by flowering plants and trees will help improve their health and numbers. Increasing the number of pollinator-friendly gardens and landscapes will support the health of bees, butterflies, birds, bats, and other pollinators across the country. Uh, there's also a Facebook group that you guys can go check out. It is www.facebook.com slash justice for April Millsap. Well, guys, that's all for today's episode. Tune in next Monday for another riveting case where I will traumatize you more than you already are. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out my Instagram at morbid period curiosity period TC podcast for photos related to each case that I cover. 
Uh, feel free to email me any case suggestions or spooky stories at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, whatever app you listen on. And I appreciate all you spooky listeners. Stay kind, stay spooky, and for the love of God, don't murder anyone. <laughs>